Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Deuteronomy chapter number 7. Give me just here a little moment to string something up here. I had every intention last night. My wife said she's the Amazon connoisseur, so it said that it would be here by tomorrow. I wanted to buy a actual size skull to have up here, but uh, she said there's no guarantee it'll be there, although they say it. So I had to bunt the ball and use something that they had around here. So we'll put him right there tonight. It, it doesn't matter if he turns around. It's not like you can see him. You see through him. Deuteronomy chapter number 7, verses 1 and 2. He'll probably spin and everything else. Amen. If he turns sideways, you might not even see him. Verse number 1. And the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whether thou goest to possess it and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Jergashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Man, you get in those things and you just keep a-flowing. Even seven nations greater and mightier than thou when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt, not, thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor shew mercy unto them. Skipping down to verse 16. And thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. Verse 22. And the Lord thy God will put out all those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beast of the field increase upon thee. The verbiage in the scripture, the Lord's given these people up to be utterly destroyed. No mercy shown. No pity shown to them. Completely consumed be driven out for a little while tonight with the help of the Holy Ghost I want to minister this leave no survivors leave no survivors and our little guy is up there just as a testament to remember that leave no survivors Father I come to you tonight and I'm grateful Lord for one more chance to be in the house of the Lord one more opportunity Lord to sing praises and God, to be thankful and grateful unto you. God, for the work, God, that you consistently do in our lives when we step aside and allow it. I pray, O oh Lord, tonight, God, let your word go forth. Help us, I pray, Jesus, today that the scripture will become alive to us. God, that it would equip us, Lord Jesus, and help us along on this journey. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen of the church say amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Leave no survivors. Throughout the New Testament scriptures, there are metaphors and imagery that 
use military terms for our Christianity and our Christian journey. It doesn't take much perusing of the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, to find that. On more than one occasion, the Apostle Paul calls different Christians, he calls them in particular fellow soldiers. Whenever Paul was addressing Timothy, his son, in the gospel, he particularly used military language when speaking to him. In 2 Timothy 2 and 3, he said, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Over and over again, we see this imagery in New Testament Scripture. The compensation for one who works in and around the ministry is described in reference to being similar to a soldier's rations or even a soldier's expense. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, he tells us to stand to hold our position. And at great length in that chapter, amen, he speaks of truth and righteousness and the gospel and faith and salvation and the word of God and all of these different things and items are related to different parts of a soldier's armor. It's called what we know to be the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And perhaps a verse that that leads into those descriptive pieces of armor, enlightenment, if you will, of Ephesians 6, tells us the common form that our enemy of the church age may take today. He says in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Many of the enemies of the Old Testament were pictured in the life of a person. The enemies of the Old Testament were denoted as a person or an army or a nation. Evil and wickedness in the Old Testament was personified, if you will, in the people. In that dispensation of time of the Old Testament to deal with the immoral and sinful tendencies was to deal with the people that showcase the evil and the wickedness. But today we know according to New Testament scripture that we war against the same evil as they did of the Old Testament, the same wickedness that they did of the Old Testament, but instead of killing people and taking captive armies, we take captive thoughts and attack spiritual wickedness in high places. I hear today, I believe we all know, but let me just be a rehearser in your ears, that temptation and sin are factors that we deal with I'll speak for myself that I deal with every day of my life. We wrestle and we war against these type and sort of things every day. Peter even called on us. He said, eschew evil, shun evil, avoid or go out of the way of evil. If we listen to the enemies that Paul recalled in the book of Ephesians, he converts all of these things into the battle of some of the things that we deal with. If I may, I got a lot of scripture tonight, but Ephesians 2 and 1, he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of the flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others he said there are a few things that we dealt with in our past life and even in our life even still as Christians he said we dealt with the course of this world worldliness we dealt with the prince and the power of the air which is the adversary and we dealt with our fleshly desires I'm here to tell you tonight that the world is not an innocent player in the life of any saint amen of God amen the world has a course the world world has a plan and it does not harmonize with the path of God. Furthermore, we must be on guard that we don't receive the spirit of the world. Because I'm here to tell you tonight that worldliness is a spirit. Amen. He says, furthermore, that we are not to walk according, if you will, to the prince and the power of the air, which is the devil. That devil that now works, he says, in the children of disobedience. I'm, I'm by far not saying that there's just a bunch of people out here deranged and possessed by the devil. But I will tell you that disobedient people are being influenced by the devil. Lastly, he said, we got to beware concerning the works of the flesh because the works of the flesh go beyond just the realm of sexuality concerning the human body. Whenever the apostle Paul spoke, to the church at Galatians and I won't read through it it's up there there are many things that are the works of the flesh adultery fornication uncleanness witchcraft hatred idolatry amen envians murders drunkenness all of these things amen amounted up to things of the flesh and so all these things were portrayed in people in armies and nations in the Old Testament but today we fight against spirits and principalities and powers that was the driving force behind all the people even of the Old Testament and so Paul tells us and different people and writers of the New Testament tells us that grace then therefore teaches us that we must deny worldly lust James said that we must submit ourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and that he would flee from us Paul said that we should put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the flesh thereof I see just in that sampling of scripture some strong verbs that that we are to de deny and we are to resist and we're not to provide for. So these are the same ways, the same tactics, the same means of the Old Testament armies in heathen nations and heathen people. The way that they were dealt with then is by the word of the Lord. He said, don't leave a survivor. By the word of the Lord, he says, don't allow any of them to remain. Don't allow breath to remain in their lungs. The only way to deal with these type of things is that you got to eliminate them. You got to leave no survivors. And in the Old Testament, that was the story at the prescription of God. Don't leave any survivors. Take no prisoners. And that is still our story today. We cannot have any survivors and we can take no prisoners when it concerns those things. Stay with me. I feel like I got a long journey, but that's all right. Amen. The nations that Israel will go up against in Deuteronomy 7. He said, you're going to go up against seven nations. Nations that are larger than you. Nations that are stronger than you. He says, but no, they are stronger and greater than you are. But they are not stronger and greater than your God. He said, God is going to take these seven nations that are greater than you and stronger than you. And he's going to deliver them into your hand and after God has delivered them into your hand it is your responsibility 
to defeat them. It's your responsibility to destroy them. It's your responsibility to leave no survivors. I'm telling this this tonight, and this is maybe not for all of us, some of us, amen, in some way or fashion in your Christian journey, it shall be. But the breach happens whenever we fail to destroy the things that God has delivered unto our hands. We should not cater to them. We should not excuse them. We should not protect them. We must leave no survivors. The constant danger in the Old Testament, amen, is if they left a survivor that the children of Israel may be tempted to pagan idolatry. That if they left somebody in the landscape that the Lord wanted them to possess and they practice adultery and they practice serving other gods, the temptation was this. The price of leaving a survivor is that they may succumb to the same practices of the people that they were driving out. Amen. He didn't want them to have any survivors because the Lord wanted to protect and prevent any spiritual contamination against his people. The Israelites, he said, said, do not make a treaty with them. Don't make a treaty with the other nations. Amen. Because you're not allowed to worship what they worship. He said, you're not allowed to worship the heathen deities. These people, he said, are people that sacrifice their children to false gods and they worship false gods. These are people that have male and female prostitutes that serve in their temples. They have sexual immorality as a part of their religion, their idols and all these things. Anything that denotes who they are or what they serve, it must be destroyed. He said, I want you to go on the high hills where their shrines are tear down their trees, tear down their groves, tear down their altars. Intermarriage, he says, is out of the question that because thou compromise your beliefs, thou compromise who you are. Someone say amen. As a matter of fact, many of the wars that they fought, it seems as though the pattern was that these enemies, these heathen people would come out and make war against the Israelites and the children of God. Many of the battles that they found themselves in was because of the enemy coming out and fighting against them. But the story of leaving no survivors wasn't just something that happened at the Red Sea. It wasn't just something that happened prior to getting to Canaan or after they got in Canaan. It is something that we find over and over again in God's holy word. You remember the story in 1 Kings chapter number 18. The Bible tells us there is Elijah upon Mount Carmel. There is the contest between that of him and those prophets of Baal. And you remember they were halting between two opinions. They were halting, is God God or is Baal God? He said, whatever God answered by fire, let him be God. At the end of the day, Elijah had the victory God came down and showed himself in the fire consumed the altar consumed the sacrifice and this was the words of Elijah as he stood up there he called all the assembly of Israel together and he cried unto them and said this Israelites take all the priests of Baal and this was his cry let not one of them escape 
even after even after inheriting Canaan after all of that's been said and done here is still a man of God that's standing on a hill he said we've had victory he said but don't let one of those prophets of Baal escape why he says because they're a part of the equation that caused you to halt between who's God and who's not God and we can't allow that type of stuff to stay around we can't permit that He says, don't let them escape. Don't let them off the hook. Don't let it slide. I wish somebody in this service tonight would have a little tenacity in their spirit saying there's been something that's caused some doubtful disputations about where God is, how I stand with God, if God is real, if he's relevant, if he's legitimate. I'm telling you today, don't you let that escape your life. You need to cut that down. You need to eliminate that. Leave no survivor. Amen. David, whenever he came to his kingship, or at least on the, 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 the premise, on the precipice of it, about ready to take place, he didn't leave any survivors. The Bible says he was a fugitive for his life when King Saul was in order and king, and he went and hid himself. Kind of interesting, really, in this pages of Scripture. David went and hid himself among the enemies. He went and hid himself among the Egyptians. This is whenever he dwelt at Ziklag that you read later was burned with fire and his wife and children and such are taken. He was at Ziklag among the enemies. And while he was living among the enemies, he went out into the different territories and fought not for Egypt, but against Egypt. And he would go out and fight and bring spoil. And the king of Egypt would say, how'd the fighting go today, David? Because he thinks he's... David's on his side. How'd the fighting go to David? All went good. We really worked them over. All the time, the king of Egypt is thinking, David's fighting for us. But David really was fighting against them. But this is what he did when he fought all those territories. David knew he could leave no survivor. Because if he left a survivor in all of his raids, he knew the survivor was going to talk. David says, I can't afford leaving any survivors. I got not only to take their life, but in taking their life, I'm silencing the enemy. You can't leave any survivors because listen to pastor today. If you spare one, they're going to continue talking. Somebody hear me right now. If you spare one, they'll get inside your head. They'll get in your ear. They'll have a voice of reason. If you Oh, someone say amen. I'm not even to my sermon yet. We're going to get to it. But we need that type of tenacity that says I'm not going to leave a survivor. I, I wish I had that skull here tonight. Amazon, I wish you could just promise me that it would have been here. Amen. But we need some type of tenacity in our battles against sin, against the world, against flesh, against, against the devil. We need that David-like spirit. This spirit of David just wasn't when he was about to become king. This spirit on David was on him when he was a young man. When he even fought Goliath when he was a young man. The Bible says he had taken down Goliath. He had killed him. Amen. He cut off his head with the enemy's sword. 
and this is the best part. I'm going to read this. I don't know if it's up there in the NIV, the way that I read it here in the past few weeks. This is what it says. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding. It's one of the best pictures, images in the scripture. David still holding the Philistine's head. Now, this is more than a skeleton or more than a head, I realize. But here's David. He's just been to battle, just been against the enemy. And he comes in and stands before the king and hanging in his head or hanging in his hand is the head of Goliath. I wish I could find some church folks. I wish I could find some saints that's still holding. That's still holding the head of your enemy still holding the head of your flesh still holding the head of worldliness still holding that no survivors no survivors someone say amen the similar phrase in military terminology to my title tonight of leave no survivors is likewise similar of take no prisoners. People spout that. They use it as a phrase today in English about someone who's carrying out a plan or an action in a very forceful way, a very determined way, without any care of who it's going to harm, who it's going to upset, particularly their enemy. In order to eradicate the enemy. God set a precedent. This is what I want you to see in Scripture. This is not the Israelites being vindictive or just being cruel. This was something that was spouted and something that was backed by God. God set a precedent at the Red Sea. Whenever Pharaoh and his army followed the Israelites into the sea as they were crossing over and that ground was dry. Whenever they went into the Red Sea and they got there, Pharaoh and his army, the Bible says that the Lord commanded that those waters would come back from the left and the right on top of them. And the Bible tells us plainly in Exodus 14 and verse 28, if you wish to reference it, that God himself left no survivors. It says there remain not so much as as one of them. Amen. Another version says, not even one of them remained. In other words, God did not leave any survivors. He did that at the Red Sea. We see, just stay with me here a little bit tonight, or a long bit tonight. Amen. We see, before they ever went into Canaan, they defeated Og and Shihon. And in each of those scenarios, they left no survivors. The plea and the promise then of God to the children of Israel is now when you get to your Canaan and you go to the different regions and allocations of land that I've given you. Leave no survivors. Everybody doing all right? Why? I'll tell you why. God made it plain that the Red Sea don't leave any, any survivors. This is why he wants us to eliminate them. This is why they were eliminated. Amen. Because every moment in time before they were released from Egypt, what is the story? You, many of you know the story. Amen. Moses goes in before Pharaoh. God, let your people, let, let my people go. We want to go a three-day journey into the wilderness. And we want to worship God. And we want to serve God. And what was oft times Pharaoh's response? Yes. Yes. And then he would change his mind. At last moment. No. Plague one. Yes. No. Plague two. Yes. No. Plague three. Yeah. 
the last plague, amen, the slaughtering of the firstborn. He says, get on out of here. We don't want you around here, amen. And so number one, just stay with me here for a moment. One reason why we need to eliminate the adversaries of our life is because they won't allow you to do what you need to do. God says, I'm not going to blink an eye of taking Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea because they played games with you before they ever released you. They said you could, and then they said you couldn't. They said, we'll give you this leash, and then they would pull it back. They're never going to allow you to do what you need to do. And so I have no, I have no purpose for that. We're going to eliminate that. But secondly, why God prescribed that they should be eliminated is because even after, listen to pastor tonight, even after they let them go, Pharaoh seen them down in a distance at the Red Sea. He said, who are we? We were fools to let them go and not serve us. So he got the army together and he pursued them. He pursued them down to the Red Sea. He pursued them to the edge of the sea. He pursued them into the sea and then they were taken. Another reason why God says we can't leave no survivors is because the flesh and the world and the devil and all those things are never gonna stop pursuing God's people. You the Bible says after the Lord had his temptation in the wilderness that the devil went and left him for a season. What's that mean? He was going to come back and pursue again. You can't leave any survivors. Someone say amen. Got to take drastic measures. Because it's not going to quit chasing you. It's not going to quit pursuing you. It won't relent. It won't quit. You can't make a covenant with it and then keep it side of the covenant. You hear me? It, won't. it reminds me, Bishop, of the story of Asahel in the scripture that was pursuing after a man by the name of Abner. This is 2 Samuel 2. He was pursuing after Abner. Abner was an older man. Asahel was a younger man. And he looks back. Here's Asahel chasing after Abner. Abner looks back. And he says, "Why? let me put it in layman's terms. Why don't you go pick on somebody your own size? Why don't you go pick on somebody your own age? I'm an experienced warrior. And the Bible says that Asahel didn't turn to the left or to the right. What did he do? Keep pursuing. You know what Abner said? If that's going to be your mode of life, that you're not going to quit or relent, meet the end of my spear. And he took him out. Because if he had the gumption to pursue me, it'll be just another day and another battle. He'll be pursuing somebody else or me again. But we want to make certain things of life sometimes. And please don't misunderstand me. That we enjoy and take great confidence in at times when we're weak with God. And we want to make them members of our family. And we want to keep them in the house. And we want And we want to feed them at the table. And we want to keep them in the closet. And here, there, and there. What are you doing? You're keeping something alive. You're, oh yeah, hear me. You're keeping something alive. Honey, it's not going to quit pursuing. It's not going to quit knocking at your door. It's not just going to turn tail and run. Amen. As though you're, no, 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 no. Some things just can't be ignored out of your life. It's 
So God set the precedent at the Red Sea. But before they ever got to the land of promise, he says, King Shiham, the king of the Amorites, King Ahab, the king of Bashan, he says, I want you Israelites to utterly destroy them. Leave no survivors. Why, God? This isn't even the promised land. They're on the east side of Jordan. This isn't the promised land. So I don't want you to leave any survivors. Someone just walk with me here for a moment. Whenever you read about Sihon and Og, when you read about these individuals, the cities that the Israelites had to go up against, watch me very carefully here. The cities, and they took 60 cities of them. The cities that they had to go up against, the Bible says that they were well-walled cities. Okay. And Og, when you read about Og, the only notable thing we have in Scripture concerning Og is the size of his bed. And when we read of it, we know then that he was a giant of a man. Two things I want you to wrap your mind around. They were going against then people who had very well-walled cities. And here's a giant of a man. Stay with me here for a moment. The first generation of Israelites that were told to go into Canaan and they spied out the 12, the land. What were some of the things they came back and said? We can't do it because, Moses, the cities are well fortified and walled and the sons of Anakim, the giants, are in the land. God says, before you ever get to Canaan, I want you to go up against some high-walled cities. Before you ever get to Canaan, I want you to go up against a giant. And I want you to leave no survivors. Why, God? He says, because I want to make an example of them for the Canaan that you're inheriting. I want the people to see before you ever get to the promised land that you can defeat walled cities and you can take down giants because giants and walled cities were deterrents to your mama and daddy. But I'm letting you know, don't leave a survivor because the next generation of them in the promised land are gonna see these are people that's able to overcome. These are... Say yes. What you leave an example? See, the first first generation of Israelites left an example that you can't go up against walled cities and face giants. The second generation left an example we can take walled cities. Man, we need a generation that changes the generational curse. We need a generation that changes the generational curse. We need to leave no survivors just as a testament to every generation that comes after us. It can be done. Your daddy an alcoholic, you don't have to be. Your great grandpa did illicit drugs, you don't have to. Your mama slept around, you don't have to. You need to leave no survivors and set an example for generations to come. 
told him the Canaanites said you're gonna he said you're gonna go into Canaan same story different day he said you're gonna totally destroy them we read it in chapter 7 make no treaty with them show them no mercy no survivors don't even look on them with pity and so Joshua makes a conquest against Jericho. He makes a, a conquest against Ai. The reports that come back is that Israel cut them down. Israel left them no survivors, no fugitives. You start reading throughout the book of Joshua, which is the book of conquest, of them going through the promised land. And we see it at Makeda and Libna. And there's all kinds of these different cities and towns where the Bible is telling us they had and kept no survivors. God, why do you not want us to keep any survivors in the land of Canaan I'll tell you why he says because I don't want you to make a covenant with them and defile the covenant you got with God I don't want you to make a covenant with them and then impurify the covenant you have with God because the moment you make a covenant with them you have forsaken your covenant with God what God what are you saying God God's saying I don't want any stumbling blocks in your way I don't want any stumbling blocks in our covenant relationship I don't want any stumbling blocks I want you to be a nation that is pure and holy and undefiled and not given to idolatry or unsanctioned marriages. How are we going to accomplish that, God? You're going to have to leave no survivors over there. You're going to have to take no prison. He says the reason why that you don't need to leave no survivors over there because if they stay and you stay, if they live in the land and you live in the land, if they live in the city and you live in the city, their worship and their gods are going to be a temptation to you, amen, to sin. They're going to be a snare to you. You know, there's a lot of people that look upon God's practices here in the Old Testament, amen, down their lung noses and think, my goodness, what in the world is a loving God? annihilating all these people because it was more than just people it was a spirit that God knew wasn't going to change anytime soon and you say well that wasn't a very loving God oh yes it was because it was his measure of trying to protect the people that he called his treasure the people that he had set apart set aside as a royal priesthood a peculiar people a holy nation It's not that God is merciless or graceless, but he said this is entrenched in paganism and heathen practices. There'll be a stumbling block. If you keep them, this is what he said, Deuteronomy 20. He says, if you keep them, he says, they'll teach you. If you keep them, you're going to learn from them. You'll learn their ways. You'll learn their practices. But if there's no survivor, nobody's there to teach. Because the greatest, the greatest threat that the Canaanites gave to Israel wasn't so much a military one as much as it was a religious one. Because anything or anyone that stood in opposition to God, he said, we're going to mark that out. I preached this to you before. I got chapters and verses up there and I don't want to, Man, I could probably hold you for a long time. But Deuteronomy 13, and I mentioned this just a few Sundays ago about the dreamer and the prophet that prophesies that if his prophecy comes true but it's non-biblical, then don't listen to that prophet. And how the Bible says that if your mother, your father, your sister, brother, any of your family, it doesn't matter who it is, fill in the blank, whoever it is, if anybody tries to deter you from me, he said, kill them. 
Now, that's the way they handled it in the Old Testament. I know we're fighting. It was personified in people, nations, and armies in the Old Testament. But we're still dealing with the same spirits. He said, you kill it. And I preach this a thousand times, but 1,001, he says, hear what you do. If any of it, family member, friend, I don't care, a close confidant, try to say, hey, we're going to go over here and serve Baal and try to persuade you. He said, let your hand be first upon it. And then all the other people will place their hand upon it and they'll stone it. They'll kill it. He said, but don't you have it trying to persuade you away from me and want somebody else to slay it. He said, let your hand be the first hand. Honey, I can't pray all of the flesh and all the worldliness out of your life. I can't fast it out of you or off of you. If it's going to take place, if the persuasion has been trying to take you away, all my prayers only go so far until you lay your hand on it and say, this right here's got to go. This right here is no longer welcome. This right here can't survive. I'm not taking this one a prisoner. Then all the other hands. Then all the other prayers. Then all the other facts. We can't leave any survival. It's in Deuteronomy 13, 6 through 10. We could read it, but we'll go on. Let me just read a couple verses of it. Here's how he said it concerning that thing. He says, thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken to him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shall thy spare, neither shall thy conceal. Oh, hear me? He said, you're not going to conceal him. Thou shalt surely kill him by hand first, and then everybody else's hand after yours. Nobody, I believe anybody in here, if you told that there's something trying to draw you away from the Lord, I believe anybody in here would put you on their prayer list, take a day, I believe it, I believe it. But none of us can work any harder than you need to work. It's kind of like with Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter number 8. Got baptized, had all of his magic stuff, got baptized, and then seen people receiving the Holy Ghost because the hands of uh, those apostles that were being laid on them, they received the Holy Ghost. says, what can I give to receive this power that I might convey this? What did the apostle say? He said, your heart is not right with God. What did Simon say? He said, pray for me. You do it. I believe the apostle could look back at him and say, buddy, this ain't going to work at all until you get your hand on it. If you get your hand on it, I'll back you up. My God, there's a lot of frustrated, amen, ministries and pastors somewhere. They're shaking their hand. Oh, Brother McGee, I just don't know what to do. I pray and I fast for the people and this and this. I tell you what it is. It's because they haven't laid their hand on it. They haven't laid their hand on it. No survivors. Don't pity it. Don't conceal it. Don't consent. The Old Testament, New Testament, it's more than just a destruction of humanity. 
Again, it was a humanity that was steeped in the fallacies of the flesh. And to tolerate them was to tolerate their ways, their sins, their practices. And again, listen to me. Some things cannot afford to be tolerated. We live in the generation of tolerance. There are no absolutes today. Because if there is, then you're a sword cutting everybody around you. There are no absolutes today because you're the porcupine that no one can hug. We live in a generation of tolerance. God help me right now. Because the church has lowered the curtain or maybe better said raised the curtain on assuming the same type of mentality of tolerance. The church is tolerating things that God never tolerated. The church is tolerating things that God's word never or still doesn't. It was good years ago, but it'll still be good now. Just, just walk with me here a little bit. The story, as it is told, as a little boy was walking down a path and he came across a rattlesnake. Said the rattlesnake was getting old, and he asked, he asked the little boy. He said, "Please, let little boy, can you can you take me to the top of the mountain? I want to see the sunset just one last time before I die." The little boy answered. He said, "No, Mr. Rattlesnake. If I pick you up, you'll bite me, and I'll die." The rattlesnake snake said, "No, I promise." I won't bite you. Just please take me up to the mountain. The little boy thought to himself and about it and finally picked up the rattlesnake, took it close to his chest, carried it up to the top of the mountain. They sat there and they watched the sunset together. It was so beautiful. And then after the sunset, the rattlesnake turned to the little boy and asked, Hey, can I, can I go home? Can I go home now? I'm tired. I'm old. The little boy picked up the rattlesnake again, put it to his chest, held it tightly and safely and he came all the way down the mountain holding the snake and then carefully took the snake to his home to give him some food and a place to sleep and some refreshment and the next day the rattlesnake turned to the boy and I said please little boy will you take me back to my home now it's time for me to leave I'd like to be at home now the little boy felt like it had been safe all along this journey all along this time of putting the snake to his chest amen that the snake has kept his word so he decided to take the snake home he carefully picked up the snake took it and held it close to his chest and he carried him all into the woods to his home to be there and just before he laid the rattlesnake down the rattlesnake turned and bit him in the chest and the little boy cried out and he threw the snake up on the ground and said Mr. Snake why did you do that now I'll surely die and the rattlesnake looked up to him and grinned and said you knew what I was when you picked me up But somewhere, somebody tolerated something that they knew what it was the moment they invited it, the moment they concealed it, the moment they gave their consent. I'm crying in this hour. Leave no survivors. We shouldn't be surprised when things get a hold of us when we knew what they were when we invited them, coddled them, and petted them in our lives. We should not be surprised. 
Can we raise our hands right now to the Lord? I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, oh God, oh God, oh God. You may be seated. You may be seated. Solomon said in the Proverbs, he said, Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Just a rhetorical question. He said, Can that happen? That he can take that into his bosom and not be affected? No, and doubtfully, his clothes are going to be burned. And yet we read in the book of Joshua and furthermore in Judges that though they went into the land and Joshua basically divided it north from south and they did wars and there were many places and cities that they left no survivors. It was up to the tribes that were given the different allotments and portions of land that they drive out anything that remained in their portion. And we read time and time again that this tribe did not drive all the inhabitants out. And that tribe did not drive all the inhabitants out. They tolerated them to cohabitate in the land. And we get judges and other books as a result. Do you remember, Sister Sheila? This has been preached every which way but Sunday. But do you remember whenever Saul was told by Samuel, go down to the Amalekites and utterly destroy them. What that means to me is leave no survivors. Yet at the end of the day when the smoke is cleared, King Agag is still there, the Amalekites, sheep, oxen. Samuel comes to Saul. He said, did you do as the Lord said? You see, can I just make something real plain? Although Samuel's the one that told him, the voice was the voice of God that was speaking to him. And when he comes, he doesn't ask, did you do what I said? He said, did you do what God said? Folks, in many ways, I'm just carrying mail every Sunday and Wednesday. I didn't write the letter. I'm just delivering the letter. And the question is this, have you done what God said? Samuel says, Saul's like, yeah. Samuel says, what's that bleeding of the ox? What's that lowing that's in the background? He says, well, I kept all these things that were best things, the chief things, to dedicate them to you. Listen, there is nothing that God says to totally get rid of that's good enough that he's going to sanction. Are you hearing me? There's nothing that's good enough that God said to get rid enough that he's going to endorse. There's nothing good enough that he said to get rid of 
that he'll say, I'll look over my holiness to accept it. They left all of that. King Agag, Agag was left. Now the Amalekites, because the man was still alive. Somewhere, we don't know how, but somewhere, there must have been offspring. Hear me. Because later on Mount Gilboa, where Saul and Jonathan died, of 1 Samuel chapter 30, I believe it is, the very last chapter of 1 Samuel, that they died, you open up in 2 Samuel chapter number 1. And the Bible says there's a man that comes running out of the camp. I know, here we go. We're reading through our Bible program here. Amen. There's a man that comes out of the camp to David and said, David, he said, Saul and Jonathan fell up on Mount Gilboa. He says, how do you know this? He said, I just came from there. He said, well, what happened? He said, well, Saul was wounded and injured. He, he was going to pass away. And he asked me if I would finish him off. He says, who are you? What is your name? He says, I'm an Amalekite. What? I'm an Amalekite. Let me say it like this. I'm one of them that Saul was supposed to utterly destroy. And I'm standing here today. I stood up on top of Saul with a sword. And I was... And Saul... You hear me? Saul's death is a result of him leaving a survivor. Folks, listen, listen. I don't have time. I don't have time, okay? I do not have time. But you can trace the line of the Amalekites and Agag all the way into the family tree of Hitler. Which took thousands upon thousands, millions even, of Jewish people. Because someone chose. It doesn't apply to this. Did not, Bishop did not say in the book of Revelation chapter number two, I believe it is, through the different letters that are written to the seven churches, one of them was Thyatira, and this is what it said. It said, I have somewhat against you because you suffered that woman Jezebel to teach her doctrine. Now Jezebel's been dead long in the grave as a person. Case in point, Old Testament, New Testament, as a person. But the spirit of Jezebel, was still alive and they allowed in the church preaching her doctrine. Leave no survivors. It just about jeopardized the church of Tyra Tyra. I'm going to break this microphone today. Brother McGee, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, need to, we don't need to buy into the age of tolerance. What's harm? I mean, you know the reason why Jesus spoke and told him New Testament scripture? He said, you have heard it said, you have heard it said not to murder. But I'm telling you not to be angry because you'll receive the same judgment. You know, what, you know what the Lord is speaking to them in the New Testament? He said, you've heard it said not to murder, but I tell you not to anger. 
you're going to be in danger of the same judgment. What are you, what's your point, God? He said, you just can't tolerate some things. Because murder finds its start in anger. And see, anger left unattended may turn to resentment. And resentment left unattended may turn into bitterness. And bitterness, if it's tolerated, can turn to hatred. And hatred, if nothing's done about it, can crop up into murder. Well, what, what was the interview years ago that Dr. Dobson had with Ted Bundy in prison concerning taking advantage of all these women and raping and all this just horrific things? He said, he said it all started whenever I started delving over into pornography. Well, how in the world did you get from pornography to taking the lives of so many and in jail? Because I tolerated. I left something surviving. Is everybody doing all right? I, I know I'm preaching long tonight. I'll tell you like old Pastor Poole used to say. He used to come and preach for us. Y'all remember Pastor Poole? He was a missionary. He came. I remember this all the time for my own purposes. He says, the reason why that I preach long is because the Lord's coming soon and we don't have much time to say what we need to say. The Bible says in Matthew 18, you all know the story. What's the scripture say? What's the admonition? It says, in a very literal sense, but it's, it's, for, it's for symbolism and for, for our learning. He says, if your hand offend you, He said, or if your eye offend you, right? Or, or if your foot offend you. He's telling us how to drastically deal with sins and temptations. He said, if any of these things offend you, what do you do with it? Cut it off. Boy, this just hit me this, this, this week. Been doing a lot of mulling things over my mind as I read that, that verse and said in the scripture, Matthew 18, that I never really just kind of picked up on before. He said, if your hand offends you, boy, I wish I had a good sharp pocket knife right now. But notice, it's not somebody else doing it for you. It's you doing it for yourself again. Now watch it, though. If your hand offend thee, cut it off. Look in your Bibles, Matthew 18. And he says, and cast it away. First time I really noticed this, Sister Rhonda. I've read the Bible through so many times. The first time I ever noticed it that he said, cast it away. Don't just cut it off. Cast it away. Why in the world, Lord, would you have me do something like this? Because some of us know how to do sutures. Cast that hand over there. Keep it on ice. Pick it back up some other day and suture that thing back on. Cut it off another day, put it on ice. Pick it up another day and suture it back on. He said, no, you cat, I mean you, you cast that thing away. You want that thing as far from you as you can because it was an offense to you. Because it would be better for you to enter hell maimed than to enter heaven with all of your faculties. Let me put it like this. You would do better to enter hell lacking some of your fleshly desires than it would for all of them to be satisfied and you split hell open wide. I might have said that backwards. It would be better for you to be without 
than for you to have. Because they were an offense to you. Stand with me. I'll try to close. Stand with me. I'll try. Tonight, if you want something to pattern after, then we must look to the cross. Hear me? Then we must look to the cross. Because the cross is the ultimate example, hear me, of no survivors. God made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin. He became sin, Bishop, the scripture says, and was punished until dead. Whipped, beat, nailed, pierced. No prisoners were taken. No survivor was left on Calvary. Christ bore our sins in his own body on the tree, Peter said, and his body was severely punished and his body was buried in a tomb and he condemned, the Bible says, sin in his flesh. No survivor. If you need a pattern, then look to Calvary. No survivor. The Bible says this in closing in Romans 8, 13. He says, for if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify, that means to put to death. If ye do through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Why do you think that Paul's constant call is that in Corinthians he says, I die daily because he's mortifying, he's putting to death his flesh daily. He said also in Corinthians, he said, always bearing about my body the dying. Of the Lord Jesus. What are you saying then, Brother McGee? You saying that Christ's death on the cross wasn't good enough? No. Are you saying that Christ's death was in vain? No. What it simply means is this if we have given our lives to the Spirit of Christ that we have received, we won't be surprised when His Spirit subjects the fleshly portion of our lives to crucifix because that's what He did with His flesh. Christ's victory for me is now the Spirit's victory in me. Leaving no survivors and taking no prisoners. And so again, I just want to rehearse one more time. The re- some of the reasons why we eliminate, some of the reasons why we take no survivors is because they will not let you do what you need to do. And they'll never quit pursuing you. And you need to make an example for the, of them for future generations. And you need to keep the covenant you have and relationship you have with God undefiled. And you need to minimize the temptation. And you need to silence the voices of your enemy. That's everything I've been preaching tonight. And you need to cast it off aside, away, and bury it. But listen to Pastor tonight. Listen very clearly. The last verse that I read in our scripture setting tonight was verse number 22. I'm closing. He said, the Lord thy God will, he will put out those nations before you little by little. That thou mayest not consume them all at once, lest the beast of the field increase upon thee. This was the advice of the Lord. Please hear me clearly and don't misunderstand me. He said, you're going you're gonna to take, there's going to be no survivors. You're going to get rid of them little by little. And here's the reason. He said, because if you do it all at once, hear me. If you do it all at once and you don't have Israelite inhabitants in the land that you drove the enemy from, hear me. He said, wild beast 
will come into the vacant void places of the land. Let me put it in these terms. You remember the man who had the demoniac and it was cast out of him. And the Bible says when that happened, they garnished the place. They swept it. It was empty and clean. And then that spirit said, you know what? I'm going to go back. And see how the old home is. And the Bible says when he went back, he found the house empty. Nothing inhabited where it was pushed out. He said it was empty, it was swept, and it was garnished. Everything was put in order. God is telling the children of Israel. He said, you're going to drive and leave no survivors little by little. Because if you do it all at once, he said, there's going to come some wild things that's going to inhabit areas that you've not filled up yet. And I want victory. I do, but I don't just want to garnish and clean something up that's a vacancy and void for anything else to just come in and fill. I want to set the stipulations about what's going to be inhabiting this land, this man. Leave no survivors. (laughs) Maybe somebody needs to go home and get on Amazon and get you a little skeleton. Let me tell you, you can get about 19 or so skulls of various sizes for about 20 bucks. Been there last night. <laughs> but maybe somebody needs to get them a skeleton just for memory tonight. Put it, I know all the ladies would love this. And just put it on your dresser. Hang it on the mirror next to the bathroom where you brush your teeth. So that you walk in that morning. Today, I can't leave any survivors. I can't tolerate, I can't coddle, I can't cater. Every morning, I can't, I, we're going to win the day, Brother Malone. This is such a powerful phrase from this morning. Then you, if you're going to win today, you're going to have to not leave any survivors. Saul would testify to that. All the Jews of the Holocaust would testify to that. And I feel the Holy Ghost. We bow our heads in this place. God, you gave the precedent even at the Red Sea. They're never going to quit chasing. They're going to waffle back and forth on you. They're going to say, yes, you can, and no, you can't. They're going to play mind games with you. So I can't allow that to survive. Is there anybody here tonight that would just like to say, you know, Brother McGee, I've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But there are some days that I tolerate some things from my adversary that I really shouldn't tolerate. There are some days that I cut things off, but I don't cast them aside. There are days that there are things that creep back up over and over again, and I open up my door and put the welcome mat out for it. I'm just admonishing you this evening, win more days with no survivors than with tolerance in your life. Hallelujah. The flesh is always going to be there, yes. In many ways, the devil's always going to be there. Worldliness is over, always going to be there. But it's not going to survive today in my life. 
It's not going to have the upper hand in my life today. I'm not going to empower it today. Is there anybody else that would just like to pray a prayer tonight? If for no other reason, God, give me the strength. God, give me the unction. God, give me the tenacity. Lord, the encouragement. God, to fight the battle. Give me the encouragement, Lord, to silence the voice of the enemy. Give me the encouragement, oh Lord, to hold the head of the adversary in my head and say it's been a dead deed. I'm still holding it. I'm still holding it. It's been slain. It's been killed. It's been annihilated. It's been removed. Here it is. No tolerance. No survivors. Is there a young person today? Is there a young person today that's struggling with some things in your youth years, in your teenage years? Is there peer pressures that's rising in your life? Is there peer pressures? Hey Amen. Some people are telling you you got to prove your manhood and church is anything but manly. Are there some peer pressures? Hey Amen. There's just some things that you need to leave no survivors. Hey Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm admonishing you tonight. Don't leave any survivors. Don't allow them to exist. Don't allow them to be empowered another day. Don't allow them to have a voice. Don't allow them to have a say. No survivors. Don't take any prisoners. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.